Welcome to episode number 42 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small, friendly neighborhood market with a huge personality. Please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM to learn more. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. I believe if you desire a truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence, which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection podcast. My guest today is Christian Shearer, the co-founder of ReachIn Network. Today, you and I will learn about regenerative agriculture and how technology, such as using blockchain, will bring transparency to an industry which can grow and repair the world at the same time. Christian has traveled the world teaching people how they can be better stewards of the land they live on. Today, Christian is working toward not just helping to restore ecosystems, but to take things a step further and create a climate of positive production for our food sources. Be on the lookout for the acronym ROG, Regenerative Organic Certification, which is the world Christian lives in to help create and spread around the globe. You will hear Christian's passion and drive to teach people how they can make an impact on the global atmosphere. This might seem daunting, but in Christian's words, it can all begin by just having a small garden at home and shopping at your local farmer's market. Christian, I was so thrilled when you accepted my invitation to be on the Jackson Hole Connection as a guest. So thanks for being here today. Absolutely. I feel honored to have received the invite. (laughs) Um, Honored is uh, a great compliment (laughs) for me uh, with how new this podcast is and my listenership, but we will certainly grow that. Uh, Why don't we start off, Christian, with telling people your connection to Jackson Hole. Sure. Um, I moved over to Driggs, Idaho about seven years ago. Tyga Marthens and I, Tyga Marthens is my partner. Um, she and I uh, moved here and moved on to the, some acreage that she already owned. She's been living in the Jackson and Teton Valley, Idaho area for about the past 20 years. Uh, so I kind of followed here, here, her here, and we ended up building a house on our five acres and um, settling in. Yeah, it's an incredibly beautiful place to live. I'm, I love the summertime and I love the wintertime. So I think you need to have both of those things if you're going to live here successfully. Indeed. You have to enjoy some weather because <laughs> we get plenty of it. And <laughs> for the listeners to have a little bit of relationship, Driggs, Idaho is just over Teton Pass. So it's a <laughs> short drive. And in the valley, we call it the valley, and both sides of the hill, we consider everybody kind of connected on both sides. So yeah, um, I would say that we're both locals for each other. That's right. That's right. In our own communities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and we like to say that the Teton Valley, Idaho side is the secret gem and all those suckers over on the Jackson side. <laughs> we, we have two more hours of sunlight, you know, beautiful, nestled between two mountain ranges. I really like it over there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tongue in cheek a bit because the Jackson side is incredibly beautiful. I mean, all those lakes, the, the herds of bison, the herds of elk, it's like you can't really beat it. But the Idaho side has something going for it as well. And where did you move from? I grew up in Seattle. And then um, in my 20s and early 30s, I spent a lot of my time in Southeast Asia. I lived in Northern Thailand. I started an uh, environmental education center in Northern Thailand. And so 
I was kind of, um, you know, spending about half my time there and then half the time traveling and teaching uh, ecological agriculture primarily um, otherwise. So finally, moving to Driggs was my chance to settle down a bit. Yeah, Driggs is a little different than northern Thailand. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty uh, fascinating uh, difference. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a challenge because both Taiga and I both really care a lot about uh, growing food and, you know, having a beautiful natural environment around us. And that looks very different in Thailand where an avocado tree will be 20 feet tall and producing avocados in three years. And we planted our apple trees about seven years ago, and they're, they're still only about six feet tall and haven't produced yet. So, You don't uh, have any apples on your apple tree yet? Not yet. <laughs> we planted some, I think my son was about five years old. No, uh -huh. no, no. He's five now. We planted them probably about when he was about a year old. And uh -huh. last year, we got our first apples. Nice. Yes. Nice. We had three on one tree and two on another. <laughs> Great. Cool. Your time's well, I, look, coming. I look forward to it. Yeah, I think we're I think we're very close. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. Well, fascinating. You've been all over the world with um your industry and, mm -hmm. and your business. And now you have two businesses. Uh mm -hmm. one which when we first met a few years ago, and that spurred off another business as well. So mm -hmm. tell us what your original business was and what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Terra Genesis international is the name of the business that I've been running for about uh, 10 years now. Uh, Terra Genesis started out as an ecological agriculture design firm. So we would work for large landholders who were interested in having an integrated environmental, um, kind of agricultural project. And sometimes that had, you know, beef cattle on it and a pond and some uh, orchards and, uh, you know, kind of a number of different integrated systems, uh, uh, really creating a beautiful habitat and some income for those landowners. At some point, that business shifted and we started doing consulting work for natural products brands. So we've worked for Rebel, uh, um, Elixirs, you can find them at, at the co-op or at Whole Foods. We've worked for Badger Balms. We've worked for All Good uh, Sunscreen Company, Natural Sunscreen Company, um, uh, Mega Food, and New Chapter, which are organic supplements companies that you find in the in the natural food stores as well. Uh, and really, what the what what we're offering them is a way to move beyond organic and fair trade. All right. So the amazing thing about the companies that we've worked with is they've already adopted basically 100% organic and fair trade. They really want to be expressing themselves beautifully in the world. And now they're looking and saying, you know, that just isn't enough. You know, honestly, organic is, it, it improves greatly on the, the other model, which is the conventional model, right? But it doesn't really bring about a, a, a much brighter future for our world. You know, organic uses a lot less chemicals or no chemicals and, and um, you know, has a lot less impact on the land but it's not restoring ecosystems. So that's the, that's the promise of regenerative agriculture, which is really the, the realm that both of my companies work in, regenerative agriculture, moving towards a climate positive production of our food and a planet positive production of our food. So we helped those companies think about how do we engage in that? How do we invest into our existing supply systems so that they might upgrade their agricultural approaches to 
improve water infiltration and to improve biodiversity, et cetera. And there's very little of that happening so far. You know, the, oftentimes these companies who come to us and be like, cool, you're doing regenerative agriculture. Can you connect us with supply? And we, we're like, no, <laughs> it doesn't really exist. So we would love to work with you to help you figure out how you can invest into your existing supply and upgrade it towards more uh, ecological benefit. So for the daily consumer uh-huh. and the average everyday person, how does this impact us? Sure, sure. Because this is big. This is big stuff. Totally, totally. And more and more, you know, people are demanding uh, that their food has a clear story behind it and it's connected to, to positive outcomes in the world, whether those are social outcomes, you know, justice outcomes or environmental outcomes. So, um, I, you know, I would say, first of all, keep buying organic food. For the most part, that's the best you can get. And the best organic food you can get are small scale local growers. You know, so buy food at your, at your farmer's market first. And then when you, when you need something other than what's available there, you know, go to the whole grocer, go to Whole Foods, um, you know, go to your local cooperative and buy your organic food there. What I hope that you'll start to see emerge though are products that go beyond organic. They maybe have regenerative claims. You know, there is a new certification that's just getting spun up called the Regenerative Organic Certification that's started by Patagonia, you know, with Yvonne Chouinard right there in, uh, in Jackson uh, and uh, Dr. Bronner's and the Rodale Institute. And they're kind of adding some layers of value to the organic certification for this, for what they call the ROC, the Regenerative Organic Certification. So I think we will see more and more over the, in the coming years that there starts to be more claims about when you eat this hamburger, when you buy this shampoo, you're actually contributing to not just less harm from the production of this product, but actually towards net positive benefit for the world by you purchasing this item. And to be honest, there's very few products in the world today that can make that claim. And when you say very few, let's say there's 10 million products out there. Uh, I mean, it's like less than a percent. Yes, yeah. for sure. Less than a percent for sure. And it may be just those things that you can find at your farmer's markets mm-hmm. because those are small scale. Those people have a one-to-one relationship with that land. They're doing a lot of composting, the shipping cost to get it to the farmer's market from the farm. And the, the uh, environmental impact of that is so low that it's those local uh, beyond organic growers that are really providing it for you. Now, Patagonia and their food company called Patagonia Provisions, for those who haven't heard of it, they just launched a food company that's very radical. I mean, they basically are only trying to include ingredients that have some deep positive impact in the world. I'm not sure whether they would say they're completely net positive or not yet because of all the shipping costs and the, the manufacturing impacts, et cetera. But they are they are probably about as far forward as you can get. And we're going to see more and more companies like that. So for the companies to have a positive impact, does that mean that the products will be sourced more locally, regionally versus getting food from Chile brought into Wyoming? It may mean that. Yeah. And so this is where something called an LCA comes into play. A life cycle analysis of the product comes into play. Sometimes, you can grow something down in Chile and have it shipped up in such a way that the, the positive impact of the way it was grown on the ground there 
protecting rainforests and reestablishing biodiversity and you know growing your cacao in a, in a multi-story agroforestry system uh, the benefits could outweigh the costs of shipping it uh, up north and eventually maybe we'll see other forms of shipping that don't require don't require that that like heavy diesel uh, fuel requirement you know there are a couple small-scale uh, sail shipping companies now it's pretty cool is like uh, you know environmental pirates uh, sailing these sail these sailing cargo ships. No kidding. But yeah, that's that's very niche and it's very far away from being any sort of scale, but uh, it's very cool. What do you foresee if more companies don't get on board with this that mm-hmm. our food cycle will look like? Sure. Um, well, there's, there's kind of two ways of answering that question. One is from those companies' perspective, and the other is kind of from the world's perspective. Uh, I believe that transparency is one of the trends happening in the world, that you know, the companies that we work with are excited to, to pioneer this pathway forward towards positive environmental impact, and they want to release all the data and the techniques that they're using to the world and invite other companies to follow suit. And using you know the trust and transparency associated with blockchain technology using uh, remote sensing you know satellite imagery etc it is now coming to the point where well i would i shouldn't say now but it won't be long before um if a company is not being transparent about the practices that are associated with their product uh other companies and the industry and the customers are going to point at them and say why aren't you releasing this information and if you're not, we're going to assume that you're doing something bad, you know, and that's going to be a big shift. Um, you know, in the past, you know, protecting your IP, protecting your supply, um, you know, supply arrangements has been really, really important. And there is a movement within industry to do something called a pre-competitive cooperation, which means that a lot of the natural products companies are coming together and saying, look, we're still going to compete on the shelves but let's not compete at the farm level because we all need to be working together to be, you know, sequestering more carbon, building more habitat, cleaning waterways, et cetera. And let's be transparent and open about what those practices are and what and where our food comes from. To get to the point that I was trying to make there is if a company is unwilling to do that, right? I think that the, that the consumer groups are going are gonna to reject them. You can say that you must be hiding something atrocious if mm-hmm. you're not willing to be transparent. So b- me being in the, in the wine industry as well and visiting a lot of wineries mm-hmm. through, throughout my career, it seems as though in the wine industry, they're quite open with sharing information for the farming side of things and even the production that they mm-hmm. help out quite a bit. So is it along those lines or even taking it to another level? So out of TerraGenesis was born this other company named Regen Network, which is the company that I'm currently the CEO of and spending the vast majority of my time on. Uh, what we're working on doing is creating remote sensing protocols that verify activity on the ground. So they help farmers make claims about what they're actually doing or help, you know, say these wine brands make claims about the, the wine or the grapes that are in their wine. And rather than them just making a claim that everyone just kind of has to trust, you know, uh, we want to help them have trust and transparency behind their claims. So they can say, look, we've protected our waterways with, you know, by planting a, 
a hundred foot buffer between our vineyard and the waterway. And, you know, if you don't believe us, you can look at this data that the regen network has made, has been made available for you. That's connected to remote sensing imagery and you can like zoom right in on it and see that it's true. So you no longer have to, you don't know, you no longer have to trust the brand and their claims. You can look behind their claim and see the, see the data behind it. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And this is really important because then, because then they can be, um, you know, a community of actors can, can push back on them and say, oh, you're claiming to have protected your waterway, but all you did was plant 10 feet of grass there, you know, and that's not a very effective buffer. And here's all these studies that prove that, you know, so we invite you, if you really want to protect your waterway, that you plant, you know, perennials and you expand that to 50 feet rather than 10 feet, you know, and so it becomes a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and if, if the farms are sincere, they will uh, respond to the scientific evidence and uh, follow suit. And for your messaging with Regen Network, mm-hmm. um, can people follow this, this information? How do, how do they uh, find this out? Uh, sure. So if you want to know more about our company, uh, www.regen.network is our URL. That's a great place to see an overview of our product and our site. We also have a pretty active medium channel where we post blogs about the various different aspects of what, what it is that we're building. So if you search for Regen Network on uh, medium.com, you can find that information. And of course, we're on Twitter with the handle Regen underscore network and on Facebook at We Are Regen Network. So yeah, and for, for those folks who use Telegram, you can also find us if you search for Regen Network public group. Telegram is where we have the most active kind of like communication with our community. So people, if people have questions, if they want to lean in, if they wonder how they can get involved with their farms, that's a great place to, to communicate with us. I'm not familiar with what Telegram is. Yeah, Telegram is a messaging uh, service. It's, it's much more popular internationally. It's less popular here in the United States, but it is a, it's a platform that allows, it's kind of like Slack, but it invites, public, uh, it invites the public in. Anyone can join our public group on Telegram and then like, you know, send messages to us that, are, that everyone can see. And then we can you know, respond to those messages within that, uh, within that thread. And what type of information would somebody learn if they went to your blog on the, uh-huh. on the Medium network? Well, there's a number of interesting aspects to our project. So if you are interested in remote sensing, you know, algorithms, remote sensing proof of something happening on the ground, there's some really interesting blogs there from our science team talking about how we take, you know, free data from the European Space Agency and turn it into an automated algorithm that says whether something happened or not on the ground. So there's that kind of thing. We're also building uh, uh, blockchain technology into our tech stack for the trust and transparency aspects of that, as well as for a a governance side of our project. So there's some great blogs about that. Uh, We have a couple economists on our team. So you know, one of our taglines is we're realigning the economics of agriculture with ecological health. And so there's a real economics piece to what it is that we're building, making sure that the, the incentives are there for farmers to shift practices so that they benefit economically and the world benefits ecologically. So there's some pieces on the, on the economic side of all this. And then, of course, there's some more general uh, high-level overviews of what it is we're trying to do. Pretty, uh, pretty broad 
swath of things on that um, medium channel. Uh-oh, did you forget the milk and eggs again? Not to worry. Jackson Hole Marketplace is the place to stop just south of town. Looking for a new place to grab breakfast or lunch on the go? Jackson Hole Marketplace is the place to stop. Located four miles south of town, Jackson Hole Marketplace has a friendly, knowledgeable team ready to help you find whatever you need. Stop in today for some soft serve ice cream and a quick hello. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM for more details. So is, is it expensive for farmers to make this shift from their current systems into a regenerative network? Uh, well, it's very context specific. So for example, right over in Teton Valley, Idaho, uh, the Nature Conservancy, the Idaho Department of Environmental Quality, uh, Friends of the Teton River, and the local soil conservation district are all working on uh, working with some of the farmers there on shifting them towards no-till and cover cropping strategies, which means that the farmers are no longer turning their soil over in the spring and the fall. Right? And that in itself is an incredible way for a conventional farmer to take a step towards uh, environmental, environmental health, right? And what the Nature Conservancy is trying to figure out, they're trying to collect the data in this to understand how does this affect the profitability of the farming enterprise? And from early data, it looks like the first couple of years of switching to no-till and cover cropping, the, the profitability dips a little bit uh, just because the soil isn't very healthy yet and the farmers are trying to figure out how the hell to do this in the first place. And then once they get, once they get it figured out and the soil starts to build, by year three, four, or five, they start being more profitable. So they may have slightly lower yields, but they use way less diesel fuel, they use less chemicals, a lot less inputs, and so the, the profitability of their business is better, even despite even slightly smaller yields. So the, what the Nature Conservancy is trying to figure out how to do is, how can we bring an impact investing model into this so that we could get impact investors to put money up and inv invite these farmers to switch and say, look, we'll, we'll guarantee your profitability for the first few years, and then you, you pay us a return once you're profitable again. Oh. Which, once we can figure that model out, then we can really rapidly shift this story. So with farmers, if they go with this model and you mentioned uh, they're going to have lower yields, mm -hmm. does, does that mean that we will have a need for more farming land or does that mean we need to be smarter with reducing the waste that we currently have? Right. Um, so this is, this, is a, this is a big question. And first of all, the, the smaller yields they get, some farmers actually get equal or even slightly larger yields. Okay. The smaller yields they get are, are not, you know, not significant in terms of like an order of magnitude or anything. Uh, oftentimes there's maybe a 10% or 20% less, less yield from uh, cover cropping and uh, no-till. Uh, now, how does the world need to deal with this? Well, first of all, a lot of our food crops go towards, um, you know, inefficient use of our, of our food. So tons of our grain, of our soy, of our corn and everything goes to feed, feed cattle, for example. Cattle would much rather eat grass, which we can't eat. So we need the whole, the whole cattle industry needs to shift towards a, what's called a holistic management strategy of raising animals, which the, the cows are on, on grass the entire time rotated through the landscape in a very effective way, which actually sequesters carbon and is good for the planet. And then those grains and the foodstuffs that we grow can be used 
for human consumption. So there's, there's actually clearly a way that we could use far less cropland to produce all the food that humans need on this planet. That's, that's a, fascinating. Yeah, there's a story primarily propagated by those chemical and conventional um, uh, agricultural companies that, we, that the, the, we have to go this route of conventional agriculture to be able to feed a growing population. And that's just absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. So give us a vision, a visual example as far as, let's say there's a cattle farmer mm -hmm. and they are, are going to have a regenerative farming model. What would that look like? Sure. So, so this is really fascinating. You know, there's a whole story. I'm sure some of your listeners have seen a movie called Forks Over Knives or um, Cowspiracy. Right? These, these uh, uh, movies that make the claim that animal agriculture is one of the biggest banes on the planet and causing so much negative impact and that we should all become vegetarians because of it. I've heard of them before. Help the planet a lot. Um, and in, uh, in one sense, they're correct because the current model of raising animals is through confined animal feed operations where you raise pigs that never see the sun in their entire lives. They live on a concrete floor in a giant warehouse and, you know, at, ex at, a, at exactly, you know, five months or whatever it is, they're sent to the slaughterhouse and they're not healthy animals. They produce a lot of manure that like has to be dealt with as a kind of a toxic waste, which is ridiculous because animal manures are a beautiful natural part of the, of the nutrient cycle, right? Mm -hmm. when you, but when you confine them and put them in such a concentrated area, it becomes a toxin. So the way that we think about this from a, a, a ecological agriculture perspective is, is this. We look at natural systems. How, do, how are animals working in natural systems? Uh, I, need to, I need to double check this stat, but someone told me the other day there was more what you call bovines in North America before the white man settled North America than there are now. So, and, and I'm specifically talking about buffalo. Okay. Right? There was more buffalo in North America than there are cows in North America. So this idea that the amount of cows we have on, the, on, on this continent is causing a huge environmental problem is totally wrong because we've seen that you can have a completely environmentally beneficial at even higher numbers. So it's not the cows themselves, it's the management practices. So we look at buffalo and we say, okay, what were their patterns? Their patterns were dense herds that move through a landscape. They, they create incredible destruct, what, what looks like to us as destruction as they come through. You know, they're, they're hooving up the entire area, they're eating all the grass, they're manuring the entire place, and then they move on. They never stay in the same place for very long. You know, generally even just in one day and they're gone. And so there's a, there's a group called the Savory Institute that trains farmers in something called holistic management. And holistic management works on trying to mimic natural processes. So you're literally moving your animal from paddock, your animals from paddock to paddock to paddock every single day. You know, and in that way, you're, you're, you're sequestering carbon into the soil. And it, I could explain that, but that's kind of a complicated thing to explain. But it, it cuts off the, um, the pest cycle because the animals are not eating around their own manure. Uh, it, it, it allows the animals to get their favorite foods year after year after year rather than degrading the landscape. And yeah, it's, it's really incredible, the, all the different uh, effects of it. So what other agricultural aspects would be on that cattle farm? 
Well, it's a it's a context specific uh, okay. question, you know. And uh-huh. maybe that it's just just um, it looks like prairie, you know, like kind of like where the buffalo were. There was there was whole areas for as far as you could see were just perennial grasses and legumes, right? So you have a you have a mix of things that the animals can eat, and it, there's no trees in sight, and that could be what the natural system wants. There's also a system called um, silvopasture where you're mixing trees. And that looks more like an oak savanna, right? Where you have your occasional oak tree that's producing uh, acorns. Well, we could do that with chestnuts. We could do that with black walnut trees that we eventually want to harvest for wood. We could do that with a number of, of species that are beneficial to the farmer and beneficial to the landscape while providing the animals with, uh, with shade and some you know, perennial fodder as well. So how do you and your organization hope to get more people in the agriculture industry on board with this? Um... Yeah, great question. Great question. So in our communication with farmers, basically all, and I'm going to say 98% plus of farmers will say, show me the money. Right now, finances are so tight for farmers, they cannot take risks. You know, they, they're either in debt or they're working on very low margins in their business. I mean, I've heard that the average margin in, in agriculture is between one and three percent. It's crazy. I mean, it's a it's a terrible it's a terrible choice to go after that as your as your business opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. As an as an entrepreneur, and yet we all need food three times a day. So somehow this needs to change. So finances is where we need to step in. And what we're at, what Regen Network is doing as a company is trying to set up mechanisms whereby the farmers can be rewarded for positive environmental change. So let me give you a concrete example of that. General Mills has just committed to a million acres of regenerative agriculture. And that could mean a number of different things. But let's assume that what they mean by that is grain farmers, like those folks over in Teton Valley, Idaho, that are switching to no-till and cover cropping. You know, it, it helps build soil. It reduces erosion into the rivers. It uses less chemicals. And so General Mills could use Regen Network as a place to create those contracts. They could come onto our platform and create a contract that says, if you're a grain farmer in North America and you're verified to have been, have been practicing tillage in the past, and now you're verified to be, be practicing no tillage cropping, uh, we will reward you, I don't know what the reward would be, let's say $20 an acre. And that $20 an acre will be enough to get some set of farmers to, to, to switch practices. It's enough of an incentive. Because farmers operate on such thin margins, will mm-hmm. your model help them, other than the incentives from somebody like General Mills, create uh, better margins for themselves to uh, where yeah. they're more yeah. sustainable for the future? Yeah, that's right. It's not like we're asking these farmers to sacrifice in return for this, uh, for this uh, financial benefit. In fact, what we're inviting them to do is to try these other methods that actually start to build the health of their soil over time. And what they should see, like I mentioned in that example with the Nature Conservancy earlier, is they should find themselves actually become, becoming more profitable, even without that additional incentive, uh, you know, in a few years' time, because their soil has gotten better, they're going to use less chemicals, the whole system starts functioning much more um, healthy. And then in addition to that, we would love to be, have them uh, be able to show the world in a trusted and transparent way that the barley I'm growing or the corn I'm growing isn't your average commodity corn or commodity barley. 
this is actually a, you know, has environmental benefit associated with it. And thus it should receive a little bit higher price on the market. So we're building mechanisms so that a farmer can make that claim in a trusted and transparent way. Like I'd love to see, you know, over in Teton Valley, Idaho, they grow a lot of barley mm-hmm. uh, and Anheuser-Busch purchases most of that barley. But wouldn't it be awesome for the Snake River Brewery and for Grand Teton Brewery? And you know, what do we have? We have like seven breweries in the two counties. Yeah. Uh, for them to be making agreements with those farmers, like, hey, if you, bro- if you grow an heirloom variety of barley using no-till techniques, like, we'll buy it from you. Mm-hmm. you know, we can help facilitate uh, those types of agreements. Okay. Yeah. So it lowers the footprint, lowers the ecological footprint of both parties, both the brewery and the farmers. Uh, I think the farmers will probably be, get it, be getting a higher price for their commodity and the, um, the breweries have a better story to tell. It, it sounds like you're going to be a one-stop shop for this process. <laughs> You'll not only be able to help farmers validate to their vendors and to the consumers, but um, when people want that, you'll have that, but you also help them through the process to develop the regenerative agricultural model. Well, you know, to be honest, what, what we're building is a platform that invites different parties to play different roles. Okay. So, for example, in, in the example of Teton Valley, Idaho, which I think is a great one, we already have the Soil Conservation Unit, uh, Nature Conservancy, and Department, Idaho Department of Environmental Quality working on the ground. And so Regen Network ourselves wouldn't be doing anything to actually physically help that farmer to switch, but we would be creating a platform that would create the incentives for those parties to be getting together and doing that more, uh, more rapidly. You see what I'm saying? There's, there are farmer groups, there's extension agencies, there's land grant universities, there are, there's the USDA, the FSA, there's a whole bunch of farmer focused organizations that, that work with farmers and coupling our financial mechanisms with the work that those organizations do I think we can accelerate a shift towards uh, environmental agriculture. You're making big impacts for the world there, Christian. Well, hopefully we will be soon. I'd say right now we're just, we're just piloting these, uh, these process. So yeah, that, our company's still a startup. We're, uh, we're in the piloting process. We're piloting with the Rainforest Foundation on uh, rainforest protection down in Peru. We're piloting with a group of uh, a consortium of chocolate companies on agroforestry cacao. And we're working with uh, conventional farmers on no-till and cover cropping. Once we um, validate some of our assumptions about what we believe is true, which, which is going well so far, I think we can start to scale this process and make some of that impact that you're, that you're pointing at. I, I know you will. And I, I look forward to following up with you and finding out what the results are of, cool. of these tests. Cool. That's well, hopefully some of, that, some of that wine that you... Uh, that you have in your cellar and in your shop someday has a little regen network label on it where someone can click in or, or look at the QR code, click in and actually go and look at the data that verifies the fact that that wine was grown in an environmentally friendly way. Huh. And, and that'd be not just for wine, but everything. Yeah. Strawberries, okay. lettuce, mm-hmm. apples, bananas, yeah. beans, anything. Huh. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, so if people want to reach out to you, Christian and ask you some questions or just have a conversation with you. What's the best way to do that? Sure. I think going through our website first is a great place to start. There's a lot, there's a good facts section on there and there's some, you know, promo videos. You can see a little bit more about our project. Um, so www.regen.network is a good place to go. 
And then um, I'd say using the contact form on the website is a great place to get a hold of us individually. Okay. Yeah. And are there any reference books that if somebody wanted to learn more about this as well, other than uh, getting information on your website that you would recommend? Absolutely. Uh, there's a book called Drawdown. And the, the subtitle of the book is The Most Comprehensive Approach to the Reversal of Global Climate Change or something like that. Um, it, it lists the top 100 uh, solutions to global climate change. And I think there's 17 out of the top uh, 50 that relate to land management, um, agriculture, etc. So that's a great uh, resource. The other book I would recommend that, that takes those 17 and others and fleshes them out even more is a book called The Carbon Farming Solution by Eric Tonsmeyer, uh, which dives into holistic management of animals, dives into no-till and cover cropping, dives into agroforestry and silvopasture and you know all these incredible techniques that farmers can, can start uh, incorporating. And, and finally, if somebody has a garden in their backyard, Mm-hmm. what would you recommend are two things that they could do to push forward your message, what you're doing, your mission? Sure. Well, um, a garden is a revolutionary act. First of all, thank you for keeping that garden and keep it up. It's, it's incredibly beautiful for you in an emotional and, and social way. It's incredibly rewarding. The quality of experience of serving a tomato to your child that you've grown in your garden is far beyond you could that what you can buy from the, from the whole grocer, you know? Uh, an economist might scoff at it and say, wow, the amount of time you took to grow that tomato is ridiculous, but that time was quality time, right? Mm-hmm. So I really believe in it. One thing you can do is compost. You know, mm-hmm. grow, growing soil is incredible. You know, take all your food scraps, uh, figure out, you know, you can, you can find out different techniques that work for you in terms of composting. But a compost, that adds um, organic matter to the soil. That will help the microorganisms in the soil really thrive. And that not only sequesters carbon, but you're going to grow uh, nutrient-dense food and, uh, and tastier produce. Cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one to start with. We have a garden in our backyard, and our boys love it. Our oldest mm-hmm. will go back there, and he knows the different herbs. He munches on tarragon, uh, mint. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll, he'll eat chives, all nice. raw, uh, yeah, rosemary, um, oregano. And then when we start picking the stuff like this raspberries or the strawberries that we have back there, or, or picking some of the kale or microgreens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to see their faces, it's uh, phenomenal because they have a part of it. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. involved. That's cool. And for them to grow up knowing what a really ripe raspberry right off the vine tastes like is awesome. It is. I mean, you can go buy raspberries and those little half pints at the store, but they're just not the same, you know? They were picked before they were ripe, and then they were shipped from California or Mexico or whatever, and they're just never going to be as good as those ones coming right out of your backyard. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule because you are – running a startup business. So thank you so much for, for this time today, Christian. Absolutely. Absolutely. So glad to, to reconnect. All right, man. We'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. To learn more about Christian, his projects, and the books he referenced, please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 42. I love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. 
If you have feedback or suggestions, please send an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please remember when you're in Jackson Hole to visit my friends at the Jackson Hole Marketplace. I could not create this podcast without the support of my wife, Laura, my editor, Michael Morey, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.